Hi. New York, New York. 10036. Pro country. What you see is what you get. Hell has no fury. He drives the most expensive car because second best never enters his mind. Of all the billions of planets in space, only one is off limits to man. It all began with a curse. The evil you did this day will be avenged. A curse. From the mists of infinity, they come, rising from the cold, damp earth to take what is now theirs. You are in a room filled with your friends, but they are all dead. Night, when the earth is quiet and the good people of the world are sleeping. The night visitor comes to call. The streets have been taken over by thieves, dope addicts, rapists, muggers. We live in fear. One man is doing something about it. These are the sounds of six feet of silver death. Grindhouse Purgatory, 42nd Street, Pete. This time... In the purgatory that is the Grindhouse, Pete and I are going to look at some of the movies and genres that Pete experienced in less than sober conditions. Oh, now we can't say it was less than sober. I, I've, you know, I always people always say a few things like because it was a thing about a snuff film years ago, and they say, "But you were drunk," and I, my reply was always, "I was never that drunk because you were never that drunk hanging out where I hung out. It would have been a fucking fatal mistake." Well, okay, then let me ask you this. When you would go to a grindhouse, an actual grindhouse like you used to, yeah. and you would go see a cannibal film, some of the more vicious cannibal films, would would being fucked up make that worse or better? Well, I was always a weed guy, weed and wine, so and you could actually smoke cigarettes in the movie theater, so if you lit up a joint, nobody was really going to tell you to put it out. Um for me, it was just a natural thing, and you know the cannibal films. God, you know what? I can probably saw most of them over there anyway. Uh, they had run Cannibal Holocaust was playing at a place close to where I lived, but they had pulled it out by Friday because of the animal cruelty shit. Because people complained, so I did see it at the Liberty, and that was one of the few films that actually flatlined that audience, where basically. It was dead silence at some points because people were fucking so shook up at what they had just seen on the screen. They weren't even fucking saying shit. And usually people talk back to the screen. During this, they didn't. So. Well, th then, then let's, let's ask this. If you saw that messed up the first time, when you see that now on DVD or something, does it have the same effect on you? It has a different effect on me every time I see it because I notice something there that I never noticed before, you know, courtesy of Grindhouse releasing because they cleaned it up so much and put so much back in that uh, there's shit in there. You didn't, you know, it, it, people got to understand, too, that most of the films that you guys see on DVD that have been restored, they were cut to shit when I saw them. So we never even knew those scenes existed. Oh, when and sometimes just seeing a, a remastered print on a big screen can make a difference. I just saw the original John Carpenter's Halloween a few weeks ago on the big screen for the first time in 15 years. Remember the opening push-in on the jack-o'-lantern for the credits? Yeah. There's a fly walking on the inside of the pumpkin that flies away at one point. 
I'd never noticed that before until I saw it on the big screen. I'll have to check mine out. I don't remember that. Wouldn't surprise me. I didn't remember it either until I saw it. I thought it was a fly on our screen, and then I realized, no, it's walking on the teeth of the pumpkin. Holy shit. There was a fly on the set that day. This print has been cleaned up so much. I've seen this movie dozens of times, and I just noticed that now. That's pretty funny when you think of it. You know, so, but but I mean, like, with cannibal films, what would you say are the go-to cannibal films. Obviously, Cannibal Holocaust, Make Them Die Slowly, Cannibal Ferox, you know, the, the, you know, the, those are the, the go-tos. But what, what grindhouse type films do you say anyone in the, in the cannibal genre needs to go see? Would it be like Mountain of the Cannibal God or Man well, from Deep well, River? Well, here's the, here's the thing. Uh, Umberto Lenzi was the one who started it with Man from Deep, Deep River that was actually Deep River Savages that actually got thrown out. You know, it ran over here as Man from Deep River, then was released on a double bill by Joseph Brenner as Sacrifice with another film called Autopsy. So that was the one that pretty much you know, opened it up. Then Ruggiero Diodato came in with... Now, there was a bunch of different fucking titles with this thing. I got sucked in. I had no idea what I was getting into because it was called The Last Survivor. I figured it was a jungle adventure movie. Little did I fucking know, which is it's now released as Jungle Holocaust, but it was also released as Last Cannibal World and Cannibal. And that one flatlined the fucking audience when they basically filleted Mimi Lay. So that was another one. Um, a cheesy one that only works because of Laura Gemser would be uh, Trap Them and Kill Them, which was released as a man Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals by a Shriek Show over here. Um, as far as other ones, the Franco stuff was really bad. Um, you know, the cannibal cycle only lasted a couple of years and was only, you know, a few, a handful of good ones. You know, the weird thing about the Franco ones was they incorporated fucking operation room footage into it. So, you know, it was really fucked up. But, you know, your, your, your go-to ones would be, uh, Man from Deep River, Last Survivor, uh, Cannibal Holocaust, and Make Them Die Slowly. Well, all those, right. those are the big four, you know? Well, th- those were Italian films. Italian exploitation yeah. is one of my favorite genres from, subgenres from the late 70s, early 80s. What about just the straight-up Italian nutso films, whether it be the sci-fi films, the horror films, the the weird action exploitation stuff, you know, the Franco Nero movies, the, the Policia films or whatnot? What are some of the Italian exploitation films you love? Oh, there's a ton of them out there. Eyeball, you know, the, the Jallos, um, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, uh, Suspiria. Uh, see, we only got Suspiria over here. We never got the other ones. The only other one we got was the one uh, Phenomenon, which was, re- was released as Creepers over here with 20 minutes cut out of it, I think. In all honesty, I've seen both. I actually think it runs better as Creepers. I don't think phenom- the Phenomenon cut adds. It adds some character development, but the pacing's off. So it actually runs yeah. better as Creepers, I think. Well, you know what it was too. They were they were cutting this stuff down so they could fit into a, a double and triple bill. So the ideal running time was like seventy-five to ninety minutes. I mean, you, you take uh, Van Cleef's Spaghetti Western, Day of Anger. They lopped off about fifteen minutes of that to fit it into the slot. So a lot of the cuts were indiscriminate, just strictly because of time. So you would you know you you would lose a whole plot line. We just uh, I have Kioma the Avenger on sixteen, which was actually Kioma. 
but my version's cut down like at least 15 minutes. So there's stuff missing out of that. But so- sometimes editing is not a bad thing. Like, you, you used to watch Night Gallery, right? No, I never watched that. You one. never watched never Rod. I, I Rod was Sterling? not a t- I was not a TV guy except for like in the '60s because I was home. The minute I got my driver's license, I was never home at night. All right. And people go, you know, people always always call me out on that. I says, dude, I was at the fucking movies or at a bar. I was never home. I didn't stay home. I had a shitty home life. I didn't want to be there. Okay, well, Night Gallery, you know, Rod Serling's baby it was an yeah. anthology series, and it was made by Universal on the Universal backlot. Now, yeah. when they went to go syndicate that in the early 70s, you have to have 100 episodes for syndication. They cut the hour-long episodes into half hours, and they didn't have enough. So there was another series called The Sixth Sense, starring Gary Collins, which only ran for two seasons, and that didn't have enough. That was also shot on the Universal backlot and made by Universal. So what they did was they cut The Sixth Sense episodes from an hour to a half hour, paid Rod Serling, his words, an obscene amount of money to record Night Gallery intros, and those Sixth Sense episodes were included in the Night Gallery syndication package. So growing up, if you watched Night Gallery, it seemed like Gary Collins starred in every other Night Gallery episode. Well, Chiller, a few years ago, the Chiller channel released the Night Gallery episodes uncut on their channel. Man, do these things run better as half hours than hours. Sometimes editing is not bad. No, I'm not, I'm not saying it is. I mean, you know, going back to, you know, I was talking about the exterminator on, on another show, I think, you know, exterminator ran great at 89 minutes when they threw back all in the shit they, they took out. It just dragged on and the subplot just killed it. It was like watching an after school TV movie with gore. Exactly. So, so sometimes people are like, Oh, we found all these scenes. And then you watch the scenes and you're like, yeah, they don't really help the film. Did they? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I, that's what I said. You know, a lot of people, you know, try to be, you know, they don't understand that certain shit worked for a certain reason and that what that was it. When you try to fuck with that formula, you screw it all up. You do, which is why, now in some cases, editing is bad. In a previous show, you talked about the Beyond and it being released here as Seven Doors of Death. The Beyond is a fantastic movie. In fact, I think it might be Fulci's best film. It's at least my favorite I think so, too. Seven Doors of Death, not so much. Yeah, it's ballpark the same movie, but the editing is noticeable. It's missing not just gore shots, but key scenes. Seven Doors of Death is a fucking train wreck. The Beyond is brilliant, and they're only like four minutes difference. Yeah. Well, you know, I just was... uh picked up the uh, Dr. Butcher MD uh, DVD from Severin. And they had a really great interview with Terry Levine, who's still alive and still working in his mid-80s. And he explained, you know, how they did a lot of the stuff over there, too. Like, uh, just for, just like Dr. Butcher, uh, that was, original title was Zombie Holocaust. And what he did was, he wanted to do some upmanship because he didn't, he wasn't one of the guys, um, Oh, I guess it was Make Them Die Slowly. He wanted to top Make Them Die Slowly because a, a rival distributor put that out. So what he did was he took an unfinished film from Roy Frumke's called Tales to Tear Your Heart Out, which had a zombie scene in it. They used that as a pre-title sequence, threw up a, a tombstone that said Dr. Butcher, M.D., and then that's how the film started. Well, okay, that that reminds me of... We're talking about the Grindhouse, and you and I haven't really spent any time talking about the Kung Fu films 
or the Asian films in the Grindhouse. Did the Grindhouse patrons ever really get pissed off at the obvious bait-and-switch of something like Bruce Lee Fights Back from the Grave, which has got an amazing opening eight seconds, and then after that, that movie is tedious as fuck? Um, the only time I saw anybody get pissed off at a Kung Fu movie, because there was a theater in the middle of 42nd Street that religiously th- showed three different Kung Fu movies, usually Shaw Brothers ones. What would fuck them up was when they ran a movie like Killer Snakes and the brothers all thought that this is a new kind of Kung Fu thing, Killer Snakes, when it was actually really about Killer Snakes. So they'd piss a bitch. Um... Another one was Black Magic, which they had had to retitle Revenge of the Zombies to get that to show somewhere else. You know, it, a lot of stuff that was booked there wasn't, you know, may have sounded like a kung fu movie, but really wasn't. And that infuriated, you know, the purists. Well, because, like, Joe Bob Briggs has that the joke that he told on The Tonight Show back in the 80s that uh, his favorite Grindhouse film was always three kung fu, always three kung fu classics. Because that, yeah. that's all the marquee ever said. It never listed the movies. Just always three kung fu classics. That had to be the theater. Yeah. Because they ch- they changed it every week. You know, you never knew. Flying guillotine. Uh, you know, I, I you know I'm not a huge kung fu fan, but I did see you know the ones that you were supposed to see, like Five Fingers of Death, Chinese Connection, Enter the Dragon. You know, things like that. Uh, you know, the the real. Oh, what was the other one? Um, Queen Boxer. Uh, Street Fighter, you know, all, all the, the real over-the-top ones I saw. Well, uh, how long did Bruce exploitation last? Because after Bruce Lee's death, well, even a little bit you know, before his death, after Enter the Dragon came out, there were all of these clear Bruce Lee-inspired ins- movies, you know, and, and you had Bruce lie and Bruce yeah. lay. So, I mean, they and- were doing everything they could to fool you into thinking this was a Bruce Lee movie. I think the most egregious of those, and I love Adolf Caesar. So him getting roped into this, him and Fred Williamson, fist of fear, touch of death is one of the most exploitative and tasteless Bruce exploitation things I've ever seen in my life. How about Bronson Lee? I, I remember that one, yeah. But but I mean, yeah, have yeah. you seen fist of fear, touch of death? I might have, but like I say, I'm not really a huge fan of these things. You know, I might have seen it in a drunken moment where I really don't remember it, because even even like we were talking about uh, in a previous show, the Olga movies, uh, the one I saw, you know, these were done in 64. I saw it in the mid-70s, and it was on the bottom half of a triple bill, and the print looked like somebody had just fucking danced on it with ice skates. So, and I don't remember that much about it, but then, you know, reviewing it on a DVD, it comes back a little bit. Uh, probably if I ran that film on a DVD, it would probably come back a little bit too. Fist of Your Touch of Death, it, it purports to be a documentary about Fred Williamson, and it's hosted by Adolf Caesar as himself, about the World Karate Championship, where people are getting eyeballs torn out and everything, and it came out yeah. right after Bruce Lee's death, and it has part of that old soap opera Bruce Lee was in as, as, you know, childhood movies and it's got footage from bruce lee's actual funeral and coffin and stuff and it's so tasteless and exploitative that even i turned my head at it and went oh my god you know bruce lee was in a james garner movie called marlo i didn't know that oh yeah he i think he trained james garner but the weird thing is you try to find a 16 millimeter print with that footage in it because a lot of guys clipped it out and sold it that's yeah i People used to do that. That's what people need to understand is the projectionist might sometimes accidentally screw you. I can't remember what movie it was, but I, I was I saw an interview with on a documentary about projectionists, 
where some big actress did her first nude scene in the 60s. And each projectionist, as that was getting bicycled around the country, would take out one frame to keep for themselves. By the time it got to the other side of the country, the whole scene was missing. Yeah, well, according to Bill Landis, who, you know, some people think he's a god and everything like this, but a lot of the stuff he he has said has been disputed and found to be false, said that a lot of projectionists would clip entire scenes out of films and sell them to private collectors. That doesn't surprise to be me. A film. I've, never, I've, I've never seen this film. It's called Being 20. And it's supposed to have a really horrific ending where these two girls are like brutally raped and a fucking branch is shoved up this chick's cunt and you can see it sticking out. Um, according to what I've read, you can't even find a print with that scene intact because it's been taken out and sold. Well, you know, people are, people are weird, especially when yeah. you get to collectors. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's like the, the, the Pretty Peaches Enema scene. That was yanked out for the VHS release. That was another VCA thing. Oh, that I, was yanked out. I, I remember the Satisfiers of Alpha Blue. The, uh, Annie Sprinkle's entire scene was deleted. Yeah. The, 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 the scene where she uses the dildo on the guy, makes him come in his own hands and then lick it up. It's like that yeah. whole scene, when it's too graphic for an X-rated porno film, yeah. that's either really good or really bad. Well, you know what it was? It was after, after that whole deal with the Mies Commission when they clamped down on the Avon stuff and then the Tracy thing when a lot of people went to jail. Everybody, you know, this stuff was already out on film. Now, you know, video was the up-and-coming thing. But a lot of these guys did not want to take a chance of getting busted again, so they'd go over the thing with a fine-tooth comb and figure, okay, we got to get this the fuck out of there. And they did. The, the, the print I have of Satisfiers, it, it, it's a nice, you know, remastered print, and then all of a sudden it goes to what's probably second-generation VHS footage for the Annie Sprinkle scene, and it's edited back in where it should be. Hmm. So I actually have that scene in a print of mine, but I'm going to wager it's probably, you know, it's obviously, uh, I'll say, from a bootleg print considering it's, you know, a VHS copy versus the, I don't know if Satisfiers was a 35, probably a 16-millimeter Original. No, I think I think it was a thirty-five. That was a biggie. That was that was a biggie. I think it was shot. Or, I think Gerald Damiano shot that one. If I'm not yep. mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one's a Damiano, yeah. and it's yeah. really good film. Again, you care about the characters in the film. Yeah. Well, even going by that, remember when all of a sudden they they re they put out the restored version of King Kong and they put in all the scenes that were taken out, like him chewing on the natives and stepping on them and shit, and then. You know, smelling his finger after he fucked around with Faye Ray and stuff like that. If you notice, the texture of the film is completely different than the other parts of the film. Actually, the the DVD has a a restoration documentary on that about how they had to. You know, the film itself was shot on thirty five, but those scenes because nobody kept those. You know, when you cut a scene back then, you didn't keep them. They found yeah. sixteen millimeter dupes. So, so you've got a mixture of 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter, which if you're watching it on TV or even VHS, you're not really going to notice it. But on DVD and Blu-ray, that, that's a noticeable difference between 16 and 35. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does make a difference. I, I actually, Metropolis is one of the worst. The original silent Metropolis. Uh, again, the DVD has a beautiful restoration documentary on how there were so many scenes. There were almost 28 minutes cut out from when it was in Germany to come to America. 
And those scenes were scattered all over the world. They found them in super scratched up prints. Some weren't even 16 millimeter dupes. They were 8 millimeter dupes that they found in like an Argentina TV station's basement and whatnot. And so their film stock is constantly changing, but they found the most complete print of, they made the most complete print of Metropolis that's ever been seen. Just the film stock's going to keep changing pretty radically. Yeah, well, that's that's the problem. You know, you go you go back to certain guys that I've talked to over the years, like Dave Friedman, Nick Millard, old roadshow guys, and even the majors never envisioned television, never envisioned VHS, never envisioned any of this stuff. This stuff was just tossed in fucking vaults and 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 warehouses and stuff and left to rot because they found that they actually thought there was no more value in the damn thing. Boy, were they fucking wrong. And sometimes though, they lie. Have you ever seen Diodato's 1985 cut and run, the spiritual, he calls it the spiritual sequel to Cannibal Holocaust? Yeah, I've seen it, yeah. Have you seen it on DVD? Yeah. The DVD is borderline unwatchable. And not because of the, the print quality, to be fair, but they, they found some of the gore scenes that were cut out on VHS and they edited them back into the film. The worst part is they knew when they shot this movie, that they were going to have to shoot two versions of some of the gore scenes. So there there were scenes shot for the European market and then less gory scenes shot for the American market. So they wanted to release an uncut version. Unfortunately, they, they claim they lost the American audio track for the stuff that was shot for the European market. So all of a sudden, in the middle of the movie, you'll have a scene where Lisa Blount all of a sudden starts speaking Italian and it's all subtitled in English because that's the uncut version, and they claim they can't find that. Well, people found old v- VCD versions from the early 2000s boot- that were bootlegged in Asia that are the uncut scenes with the American audio. And you go, there was you Ven- just didn't yeah, there look. Was, yeah, there was a Venezuelan tape that I got off somebody back in the day that had the uncut scenes with the English language track on them, too. Yeah. But the DVD, so, the, I don't, I don't know why they did that. The American DVD releasing company just lied or they just didn't look and they said, ah, we're not even going to look for the fucking American audio track. And then it starts popping up on the bootleg market. You wonder why people prefer bootlegs sometimes. Which is kind of weird because that was Anchor Bay and I think Lustig was in charge of that stuff then, which, you know, which is really weird that that happened, but. Yeah. I, I was surprised too. I mean, I, I got a, copy of a, a spaghetti western an ed burn one called um what the hell was it, it originally it was payment in blood it's something it's got a couple different titles but there was a bunch of shit that was taken out and the only stuff that the guy who restored it could find was a french language track so that has subtitles on it but it's in there and makes it you know makes a lot more sense of what was going on the the 42nd street forever dvds that those trailer collections that were put out the yeah. Those guys have, there's one trailer, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, I haven't seen those in years, that is all in French. And they said, they have, you know, these are the guys who run Alamo Drafthouse. Their whole thing is finding these lost movies. Yeah. They cannot find an English language print of this movie anywhere. That the movie was shot in English and then dubbed into other languages, and the only print that seems to exist is a French-language print. So the English-language version might may be a lost film, or is sitting in some fucking asshole collector's vault. It's possible. Who knows? 
Because I, 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 I know that's happening with the doctor, the old Doctor Who episodes that back, you know, the BBC erased all the tapes, but people had 16 millimeter dupes or VHS copies. But back in the early 80s, the collectors were selfish. I don't want to share, you know, I've got the only known copy of this. I don't want to share it with anybody. And then so there's, they have the copy and you know it, but they're not giving it out to anyone because no, it's mine. It makes me feel special. Yeah, I know. I just, uh, I'm not one to spend a shitload of money on a DVD, but I've been looking for this fucking film for years. It was out on VHS and that was the end of it. It was Abco, Abco Embassy put it out. It was a film called The Corrupt Ones, which actually is a forerunner to Raiders of the Lost Ark, only, you know, on a smaller scale. But Warner Brothers had released this damn thing and I figured it would show up on their archive collection, which it never did. I've shown this, the VHS burn I made myself because the tape, you know, fell apart to several people who really love the film. And then all of a sudden I found a, a Blu-ray out of Germany of all places, which would make sense because it was, a, you know, a French, German, uh, American, whatever co-production filmed in Macau. And it's great. It's widescreen. It's letterboxed. It's got some shit in there that wasn't in the fucking VHS thing. I'm like, I'm happy with it. But again, here's a film that, you know, come on, Elkie Summer, Robert Stack, Werner Peters, Nancy Kwan, Torture by acid, torture by blowtorch, shoot 'em ups, all kinds of fucking wild shit. Never released here on, other than a, a home video version. I don't get it, you know? Well, there's one, I'm sure you've seen the Italian Raiders of the Lost Ark ripoff, Ark of the Sun God, right? Right, yeah. Did, did you ever see its kind of sort of sequel, Hunters of the Golden Cobra? Yeah, I have that on a burn. I took it off of VHS. I didn't get a chance to watch that lately. That was on my list of shit to do. Well, your VHS probably has Japanese subtitles on it. There are no, it was never released on American VHS. And they're the only known copy that's on the market. I mean, like, I'm sure there's a print somewhere is from a, v, a Japanese VHS tape. So it's got hard coded Japanese I, subs at the bottom that you can't remove. I don't know about that because the copy I got was from Vestron video. Well, then you need to get me a copy of that because the only one I can find has hard-coded Japanese subs. All right, I got I got to find the damn thing. It's around here somewhere in my endless piles of shit. So it, it, it's the maybe, same, the same thing with, with the Predator ripoff that Red Brown did, Robo War. Yeah. Every copy, every single copy has hard-coded Japanese subs, and that was that was never released anywhere except Japanese VHS. There's got to be an uncut print somewhere that does not have fucking subtitles on it. Well, there's a lot. Like I said, there's a lot of shit. You know, uh, you know, uh, the most blatant example is Three on a Meat Hook. Not it's a, not that it's a good film, but a print of this has never surfaced. Uh, somebody put out a, a bogus uh, VHS rip on on DVD with uh, Feast of Flesh or something. And people were going fucking apeshit about how could this happen, this and that and the other thing. Well, you know something? If all you got for source material is a VHS, what are you going to do? Obviously, there's no 35 or 60 millimeter prints of this fucking thing floating around. Somebody would have found them by now. Well, I mean, th- that even goes to, let's go back, we were talking about King Kong. According to legend, I mean, obviously you know about the King Kong spider pit scene that was deleted. Right. But according to legend... Dracula actually had an intro scene with Edward Van Sloan talking to the audience like at the beginning of Frankenstein. Remember that? Where he's like, you know, be prepared yeah. and all that. Nobody can confirm nor deny. There are people that remember seeing that scene, but then there are historians, 
that have studied all the Universal Monster movies that say, no, that scene never existed. So, it so did. we don't know. Did Edward Van Sloan do an intro that just no one that's still alive has ever seen? We don't know. I'm pretty sure he did because I recall it. Because don't, don't forget, see, the other thing we, we were talking about, you know, you know, Zachary passing away and stuff like that. Um, Zachary got his start in, in uh, Philadelphia because the TV station he worked on bought a universal package with all the horror movies on it, and they thought, and including Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman, this was all shit, and they wanted to make fun of it. That's why they stuck Zach in there. But I can remember, you know, not clearly because I was a kid, but yeah, there was an intro by Edward, you know, Van Sloan in the beginning of the Dracula thing. Now, for whatever reason, it may have been clipped out, lost, or whatever. Who the fuck knows? But I do remember it being there. It's it's just kind of amazing. I might have flipped them around in my head. It might be it was on Dracula, but the Frankenstein one is missing. I don't remember off the top of my head. But I, it was one of those two. And I just I, I hate to think that that stuff is lost, like the spider pit scene. You know, there are stills out there that exist that prove the King Kong spider pit scene was shot and people even Ray Bradbury when he saw that he remembered seeing that scene and recounted it in vivid detail there's got to be a print somewhere or or do you think that given the time frame and getting ready to get into World War II they just might have destroyed it and there might literally it might be gone Story I heard was it was thrown out because it was too gruesome. Well, that's why they clipped it out, but I mean to save the actual film. I don't think they saved it. I was talking to, you know, I, I was involved, you know, with Chiller for a good number of years, and actually, you know, Ray Harryhausen did do Chiller. A lot of other older guys did do Chiller, and that subject came up, and somebody said, yeah, the thing was clipped out and thrown away. It was just blatantly thrown away. And that's such a shame. Yeah, I know. So... But then, then there's, there's, there's films that I have seen when I was a kid in black and white from the forties that I've never seen again. And they're, they're all gone, deteriorated, thrown away, whatever. So it's hard to say, but you know, like I said, people did not foresee anything other past these films theatrical run back then. You know, they, they, you know, King Kong would be a revival. Casablanca would be a revival. Um, the, all the Bogart stuff and the Cagney stuff would be put out a revival. Gone with the Wind, a revival. They never thought past anything until TV hit. Then it was like, we need shit to fill TV time. So that's why all this shit all of a sudden started showing up on late night TV. Well, Charles Band, even when he said, when he started Wizard Video, which was the, you know, second or third, well, it was Mita Home Video at the time, the, the yeah. second video company at the time that his lawyer had to make up the language that's now standard because there was no standard for how to make these contracts. So he, yeah. his lawyer had to come up with the, the language on how to get the rights to these things. It was yeah. such a, a, a new concept. Well, that was, that was the whole thing. When Mike Ferraini started something weird video, he was a bootlegger. So was the guy who used, you know, ran chiller. These guys all started out as bootleggers. Well, the thing was, Mike was smart, and he was bootlegging some of Dave Friedman's stuff, and when Friedman contacted him with every intention of having guys come over and breaking his legs, he said, Mr. Friedman, I'm so glad you got a hold of me. I really want to put out your movies. Well, Dave was another guy. Never saw the value of this shit past its first theatrical release until he did something with Mike, gave him a bunch of titles, got a paycheck, and said, you know something? I'm going to introduce you to other guys that have shit because this is good, and that's how it started. 
Well, unfortunately, that's where we got to end. Where can people find Pete Chirilla? I'm on Facebook, and you can email me at 40deuce at hotmail.com. And pick up Grindhouse Purgatory if you want to know more. The magazine that you should The magazine? Yes, you can buy it on Amazon and print on demand. This has been a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.